You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Man, it's so great to worship together, lift our voices uh, with one another. It's always a great way to start our time together. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard. Always want to take a minute to welcome everyone on the live stream. You know, every week there's probably 75 or so people tuning in online. And so whether you're traveling or you're homesick or, or maybe you're watching online before you come in person, which is a normal thing to do now, we just want to let you know we are so thankful that you're with us this morning and pray that God will speak to you as he will speak to all of us. And Like Matt said, today I'm wrapping up our current series called Do You Believe in Aliens? And it hasn't been about little green goblins zapping you up to space. It's a a play on words because in 1 Peter, the book of the Bible we've been studying this month, the followers of Christ were called aliens or foreigners in this land because our lives as followers of Christ, they're called and they're designed to look a bit odd or a bit peculiar compared to the world around us. I will say, though, that when you title a sermon series, Do You Believe in Aliens?, you get into all kinds of really interesting conversations. And you would be interested to know, I think that you would be interested to know that there are multiple people in our church who have spoken before Congress about their research when it comes to alien life. Multiple, as in more than one person. This should be a little shocking to you. Like some of you right now are t- scanning the room and you're like, who else has testified before Congress? <laughs> and there's a whole other group of people who are like, that's where my tax dollars are going? Yes, your tax dollars are going to those types of conversations. At least part of them are going to those types of conversations, right? I mean, church is just such an interesting place. You have no idea who you're sitting next to. You have no idea. You think they all know what you know, but they know different things. No alien stories today, simply wrapping up our series from 1 Peter. And man, what a beautiful book it is. What a beautiful book 1 Peter is. And I want to remind you on the front end, because context is always key to understanding the scripture you read, that Peter was writing to church plants in Asia Minor. He's writing to church plants in what would be now known as the country of Turkey, and they were very difficult times. You know, the second half of this book in in 1 Peter, it's largely about suffering and hardship and how to navigate persecution, because in that time and in that era, so many Christians were being killed for their faith. The Roman Empire was not an easy time or not an easy place to be a follower of Christ. They were experiencing incredible hardship. And I don't mean the same kind of hardship we experience today, which is real hardship, right? But like they weren't getting looked at weird because they were praying in public or or they, they weren't having a hard time working in their workplace because the business ethics were kind of rubbing up against their Christian ethics, right? These aren't the kinds of... Uh, persecution or moments of suffering they were experienced. They were literally being killed because of their faith. It's a little different than what maybe we would call persecution or suffering today. These were men and women who were being crucified simply because they followed Jesus. They were suffering in the greatest ways. Bad things, bad things were happening to really, really good people. 
And it's in this context that we read about one of the key themes seen throughout 1 Peter. We read about it again in our scripture this morning, and it's the theme of hope. The theme of hope that no matter your circumstances, no matter the current pain you're experiencing, no matter the difficulties you're going through, that we as followers of Christ, we can have a living and breathing and active hope because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the context and the theme for today. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed. When they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. And Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross to forgive your sins and to bring you home. He's not some far-off God who's distant and cold, making sure that you just stumble your your way forward and, and hope that you discover God. No, Jesus came to earth in the flesh and never sinned. He lived the life we cannot live to offer you a life you cannot earn. And it's because of his sacrifice that you're set free for eternity, but you're also set free today. You know, having a life with God means that you need to make a personal decision to follow Jesus. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect. And it it does mean that you're going to have to make like 10,000 other decisions to follow Jesus. But the first one's always the most important. And if you've never made that decision, or if you didn't know that it was important later in our service, we're going to give you an opportunity to make that decision today because it's through his death and his resurrection that we're all invited to be home with God forever. While you think and pray about making that decision today, I want to work our way through this passage in 1 Peter 3 because it's such a beautiful scripture for all of us. And the first thing to point out is the title of our message today. The first thing to point out is that aliens have hope. And and you're the alien. In case you forgot, you are the aliens and you are called to live with hope. Hope is the default mode of the Christian. It's our resting posture. 1 Peter 3, verse 15, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. I I underline this next part for emphasis. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Peter seemed to think that believers would carry hope with them wherever they went. The early church and the early Christians, they exuded hope to the community around them. Their cities felt it. Their families knew it. And their hope in Jesus Christ, it would eventually catch the attention of the entire Roman Empire. 
Hope is our resting posture because as followers of Christ, we're the first ones to admit that we can't transform anything in and of ourselves, that we are desperate for a savior. We need help. We need the power of Christ to transform anything, including ourselves. The rest of it is just behavior modification, which will eventually always fail. We need a new heart. We need a new life. We need new ways of interacting with one another. See, when darkness surrounds you and trouble comes your way, when hardship knocks repeatedly at your door, it's hope in Jesus Christ that has to be your anchor. If you were to just pay attention to your mind right now, just pay attention to your life and just kind of grade yourself or rate yourself in your mind. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or do anything weird or odd like that. Just give yourself a rating from one to 10, 10 being very hopeful, one being not hopeful at all. How would you rate yourself? How would you rate yourself? When things are bad, can you find hope? When things are messy, when friends betray you, when family hurts you, when suffering happens, or when really bad things happen to really good people, do you cling to Jesus, the provider of our eternal hope, or do you settle for lesser substitutes time and time again? If you're not going through hardship right now, you eventually will. It's really uplifting for you to know this morning. You eventually will, or you know someone who's going through hardship right now. And so I just want to remind you this morning that hope isn't happiness. Hope is not happiness. They're different things. They can feel similar, but they're different. Happiness is an emotion, and it's an emotion that we all like. We, We enjoy being happy, but it's not hope. Hope is different. Even hope, according to the world, is different than Christian hope. There's two different kinds of hopes. They show up in our lives differently. So, you know, worldly hope is what put, makes you stand in front of a fountain and maybe flip a quarter into the water, hoping that things will get better. That's worldly hope. Not to mention what happens when the custodial team comes up and just gathers all of those coins and puts them in the bank. What happens to your hope then? It gets sucked up and put somewhere else. It's someone else's hope now. Or or, or a worldly hope would say that, you know, once a year we get a cake and we put candles in it and we close our eyes and we, we blow out the candles and we wish that something will change. And we just hope that this year will be better than last year. That's worldly hope. But Christian hope is unique because it's tied to our faith and a confident expectation that God will do what he's always promised to do. That someday we know he'll wipe every tear, he'll heal every disease, he'll bring peace where there's persecution, and he'll finish transforming all things. We might not see it yet. We only get a taste of it this side of heaven. But we can have a supernatural hope and expectation that God will always fulfill his promises, that God will always come through for us. And you know, hope does something to you. Christian hope does something to you. It's not like happiness that comes and goes, but hope has a, it has a sense of buoyancy to it. Hope brings you back to the top. This summer, just try this exercise. Go, when the pools are finally open and we're all enjoying the hot weather, go to a pool, take a basketball, and just try to hold it underwater for a little while, and then let go of it and see what happens. Just move your head out of the way, otherwise you're going to get pot. 
And actually, you should make sure there's no little kids around too, because if you hit some other kid and then blame your pastor for some kind of sermon illustration, <laughs> it's a bad look. They'll never come here. It's just not a good testimony, okay? But listen, try it. Hope will always bring you back to the surface. Your life, right now, it might feel like you're being held underwater for days or weeks or months or even years. But the air inside of that basketball, it's like the hope that fills your lungs. It will always bring you back to the surface. In a lot of ways, that power of hope and that power of what's living on inside of you, it's only experienced when you're underwater. Hope's hard to see when life is just floating by without a care in the world, but you can really begin to experience hope when life feels underwater. That's where hope is matured anyway, even strengthened. It's when we're brought low that hope becomes real. And aliens have hope. It's what our calling is. It's normal for us. And even more, our hope is, is supposed to be a hope that's alive. Not dead, but a hope that's alive. Christian hope, it's this huge theme throughout the book of 1 Peter. It's in almost every chapter, almost every paragraph, and every section. And Peter is just finding new ways of talking about this really important theme of hope. Even our scripture for today in chapter 3, it points back to chapter 1. Because that's where he started talking about hope. And he weaves it throughout his entire book. Chapter 1, verse 3, this is one of my favorites. This is what Peter's drawing back to, even in his own letter. Uh, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, our hope, it didn't stay in the grave. Our hope didn't stay in the grave. That's a really depressing hope anyway. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who conquered death itself. Our hope is in the suffering servant who came and went to the cross to bring us home and offer us transformation starting today. That even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of suffering and life's challenges, we can experience a living and breathing and active hope. Therefore, aliens don't just have hope. Aliens have a living hope. We have a living hope, and a living hope requires a living God. And thank the Lord that Jesus didn't stay in the grave. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the Christian faith is pretty much useless if Jesus didn't come back from the dead. Our hope started at the cross. That's where Jesus dealt with our sin, but it was completed with the resurrection. The resurrection is where we experience the new life that Christ has promised to us. And if you place your hope in anything that's temporal, anything finite or anything dead and lifeless, I'm telling you, your hope will eventually die with it. I can tell you firsthand that if you place your hope in anything other than a living God, you will be greatly disappointed. I have too much credibility when it comes to this. For years, I tried placing my hope in anything other than Jesus. I put it in substances. I put it in relationships. I put it in worldly pleasures. I put it in accolades and performance. I put it in anything that would hold my hope for just a moment, but everything has failed in comparison to Christ. Even good things eventually disappoint. If I put my hope in Natalie, if I put my hope in this church, if I put my hope in the Love Focal Resource Center, 
All of these are great things. If I put my hope in my kids or, or, my, or my health, these things have a way of eventually failing us. Even good things eventually disappoint in comparison to Christ, but it's a living hope in a living God that never disappoints. You know, I sometimes feel like my life is underwater and everything is falling apart and I can hardly breathe. But I know that as I place my hope in a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is alive and well, working to transform all things, I know that his promises will eventually ring true, and the buoyancy of hope in my life will bring me back to the surface, because the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me. And when you place your life and you your, surrender your life into the hands of Jesus, he gives you his spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will live in you will give you that hope, will bring you back to the surface and help you walk out a life with God. If you're struggling to find hope right now, spend time reminding yourself of all of God's good work in your life. Pray about all the ways that he's proven himself to you time and time again, proven himself faithful, and ask for him to show you again, to remind you again. Maybe read 1 Peter again this week. Read it slowly and recognize all the times and moments where hope is this key theme. During our service, come forward and take communion, remembering the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Go back and get prayer and just cry out and say, I need a breakthrough when it comes to hope. I've been underwater for so long, I've forgotten what it's like. And I need the presence of Jesus in my life again. Aliens have this living hope. And if you cry out to God, he'll help grow it within you. To continue in this passage, you realize this living hope is going to eventually do something to you. It's, it's going to eventually do something to your relationships. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we always need to stay ready. That aliens have a living hope, but also aliens need to stay ready. Because hope, this living hope in Jesus Christ is our resting posture. And because of this hope, we need to stay ready to testify to what God has done. In our lives. Look at the second half of verse 15. I underlined the second half of this now to emphasize this. It says, again, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope, which is our resting and default posture, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. I mean, that's about as direct as Peter can get. Always stay Ready, be prepared at all times, in season and out of season. Be ready to explain your hope when you're asked. So your hope in Jesus Christ, it's a testimony to the world around you. And we sometimes think that we have to have all the answers and we've got to have all the doctrine figured out and we have to be really persuasive so that we can get people to surrender their life to Jesus. That's never gonna work. You can't do that. God has to be at work in that person's life. You can be faithful to the truth, but we sometimes think we have to have all the right answers to lead someone in the presence of God, and it's just simply not true. People are rarely attracted. Sometimes they are, but people are rarely attracted to, an all, to, all, to, a, to a life with God when all we talk about is doctrine. Have you ever noticed that? People outside of faith are rarely attracted to a life that's just perfect, and everything seems great. I mean, that might be Instagram Christianity where you just display what you want to display, but it's not real, authentic Christianity. It's not, you, people are attracted to a gritty faith. 
One that can persevere even when things are rough. One that continues when things aren't that great. And apparently Peter and the early church, they were so filled with hope. And they were following Jesus as best as they could that people started to notice and people started to ask. And those are the moments where they were able to testify to what God has done in their life. And so since Peter is so direct in this passage, let me be direct for a moment too. When's the last time someone's asked you about your hope in Jesus? Because they've seen it put on display in your life. Peter seemed to think this would happen enough times that he should write a letter about it. It probably didn't happen every day. I know it doesn't happen for me every day. But if there's any length of time where eventually people stop asking you about your faith, it should make us pause and question whether or not we're hiding our hope or whether we're actually putting it on display for the world around us. Don't hide your hope. Don't hide your hope. Part of living authentically and part of living with integrity is allowing your hope in Jesus Christ to be put on display for the entire world to see to be a living witness and a living testimony for what Christ has done in your life. Now, Peter did give us a couple markers on what this should not look like. And he did that in verse 16. Look at this. Remember, he's talking about sharing your hope in this moment. He says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Just a quick summary of those two verses. This is just the Jeff Faust translation for you. Summary of those two verses. You can't be a jerk and testify to Jesus at the same time. Right? Some chuckles, but how about some amens behind that? Like, you can't actually be a jerk and testify to Jesus at the same time. Our hope is intended to be contagious, not repulsive. And it's always heartbreaking to me when I see people with signs preaching about Jesus, and the sign says, God hates fill in the blank with whatever you've seen on those signs like I've probably seen them too. Or earmuffs for little kids, earmuffs for little kids in the room. Preachers that that maybe shout out, God will send this person to hell. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, there are even YouTube videos out there of these same preachers with, with passerbys yelling at them. Or even attacking them. And then the preacher has the audacity to call it suffering for the Lord. But that's not suffering for the Lord. That's suffering for stupidity. Again, you can't testify to the love of Jesus while being a jerk. It's not going to work. It's not the kind of testimony that we're called to have. Jesus didn't act like that. The early disciples didn't do that. The early church wasn't known for its hatred. It was known for a deep and abiding hope in Jesus Christ that says, I cannot transform myself, and we collectively cannot transform ourselves. We need a Savior. And even when it feels like life is falling apart, I won't let you hate me because of how rude I am. I'm only going to let you hate me because of how loving I am. That's what the early church was known for. They had a contagious kind of hope, a kind of hope that makes people take notice makes people ask questions. 
makes people curious about the way they were living for Jesus. What what needs to happen in your life so that you can more authentically show the hope that's deep inside of your heart? What would it look like to truly wear your heart on your sleeve and display to the world that you carry a living hope with you wherever you go? What needs to happen? Aliens, we have a living hope. And aliens, we we need to stay ready to always give witness and always give testimony for what Christ has done. And the final point this morning, a really important one, I think, for all of us, is that aliens live free. We live free. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There is no sin that will keep you bound and stuck. Jesus Christ died to set you free. He died to set you free. Verse 18, once more. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. But he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. The beginning of verse 18 says that he suffered for our sins once for all time. Once for all time. God is not interested in punishing you for your sins because Jesus already took it all upon himself. Because of Jesus Christ, you can stop punishing yourself because he died for it all, once for all time. And when he hung on the cross and when he cried out, it is finished, it was finished. It was finished. But I'm afraid that many of us have a hard time really believing and trusting and having hope in that promise. I mean, we want to believe. We maybe partially believe. But when church is over and you're all alone or you drive home or you're getting ready and laying in bed at night or or maybe you make a mistake, maybe you even fall away for a little while, that's when it's really hard to believe that the, the sufficiency of the cross is sufficient enough for me. And there's a couple indicators that you might struggle with this sufficiency or or the completeness of the power of the cross. For one, you can sometimes think that certain sins are worse than others. And you probably don't want to say it out loud. You probably don't want to admit it. But when you come down to it, you can say, I know I'm forgiven for this. I know I'm forgiven for this and for this and for this and for this. But let's just not talk about this one over here. I I don't even want to talk to God about it. I'm I'm not actually sure if God's going to forgive that one. Because maybe someone else didn't forgive it. Or maybe the church wasn't so forgiving. Or maybe there's a pastor who wasn't so forgiving. And now I'm wondering if God's not so forgiving. That's simply not true. Some of us think that there are certain sins outside the jurisdiction of Christ's crucifixion. It's simply not true. It's not true. And even if you don't think that for yourself, you might think it for someone else. That somehow or some way that that one person way over there, that one person that you're thinking about in your head right now is too far gone for the cross. They're too outside the love of Jesus. But our faith says that by the power of the Spirit, everyone is just one decision away from being totally forgiven and totally transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. One decision away. Another indicator that you might struggle to find the fullness of the power of the cross is that you crucify yourself. 
Not literally, of course. That'd be really weird. That'd be the beginning of a cult. We're not going to... But you crucify yourself through shame, through condemnation, or, or some kind of weird form of penance. You punish yourself over and over and over again. You could summarize your prayer life as one giant apology list to God. Just saying you're sorry over and over and over again for things that he died to forgive you for years ago. But you're reminding him of all the ways you've made mistakes. Never allowing him access to the very part of your heart that he died for. A final indicator could be that you, you think you're going to be stuck in these ugly patterns forever. Maybe you've said to yourself or you've said to others, man, I've tried so hard to kick this habit, but I can't. I might as well just say this is who I am. I mean, I still follow Jesus, but like, I'm just always going to be addicted. I'm just always going to be angry. I'm just always going to be anxious. It's part of who I am. Some of us need to stop over-identifying with the power of sin, and we need to start identifying with the power of Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus, the one who came and suffered on the cross to set you free once and for all. Sin does not change how God feels about you. Sin might change how you think God feels about you, but it doesn't change how God actually feels about you. He's always loved you. He's always inviting you home. And he's always cherished a relationship with you. Always. There's nothing you can do that will outsend God's love for you in this very moment. As you reflect on this text then, does your hope need an injection of life this morning? Do you have a a contagious hope that's on display for the whole world? Or are you working overtime to hide that hope from the people in your life? And are you living free because Christ has died once and for all to bring you home? As we prepare for our time of reflection and response, consider those questions and consider the freedom that Jesus Christ paid paid for it with his own blood. Let's pray.